Good morning and welcome once again to Mosaic Church. My name is Joe. I'm the lead pastor. And so if this is your first time, man, I'm so glad that you're here today. And we've got a great new series that we're starting that I think is so pivotal. Uh, This is where we're at. This is where we're living every single day. You can't walk throughout life without being uh, brushing up against, without encountering something that has the potential to bring disunity without encountering something that, that makes you think a thought or do something that, that, that would divide. But man, if there's anything that I believe and if there's anything that, that our success as a church and as followers of Christ depends on, it's this subject of unity. We can't move forward without it. The Bible says a house divided against itself cannot stand, right? And so we have to be together. We have to be unified. We have to be of of one mind. We have one word. We have one Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that today. And so the whole prayer of this series, it's not just a teaching series. These are prayer points for you and for me is God help us unite. God help us unite. Now, before we get going today, a lot of times when we listen to messages at church, uh, we're listening, and, and all throughout the, the, um, the message, we're like, oh, that's really good. So-and-so needs to hear this. Or sometimes even some of you spouses, like as the preacher's talking and he says something, uh, you might or might not every once in a while throw a little elbow to the side, a little kung fu action to the spouse. And, uh, but we're not going to do that today. And any time, and I just want to challenge you today, any time throughout this message or throughout this series that you think, man, so-and-so needs to hear this. I want you to replace those words and say, I really need to hear this. This is for me. This is not for you. Okay, this is a me series today. And so as much as I'm preaching today, I'm not just preaching to me, or I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to me as well. Because none of this matters if I don't apply it personally. And the number one person that I'm responsible for is the one that uses my toothbrush, which most of the time is me. Sometimes when you got kids in the house, you see a toothbrush in somebody's mouth and you're like, where did you get that? Seriously, put that back in my drawer. Anyway, it's, it's about me. It's about you applying this person into our lives. And so how do we unite? The very word unite, we're going to go all English on you here for a second, is based on on. The, the prefix uni, right, which means one. There's a, there is a single something, a point where two things come together in one place. Listen to this definition. The prefix uni, which means one, is an important prefix in the English language. For instance, the prefix uni gives, gave rise to the words unicycle. Anybody, unis- anybody can actually ride one of those things. Anybody? No? No? See, it's really hard. Uh, unicycle, uniform, right? Some kids have to wear uniforms, or maybe you have to wear a uniform to work. And unison, unison for all you non-musical people means what everybody sings on the same note at the same time. Perhaps the easiest way to remember that uni uh, that uni means one is through the word unicorn or mythological horse that had one horn. Now. I just achieved a life goal by somehow working a unicorn into a message. And so all you kids that love unicorns out there, uh, it probably won't ever happen again, so enjoy this moment. But seriously, you think about all these words that talk about one, coming together as one. That's where unity comes from. We live in an age, though, where there's more 
good advice. There's more good information. There's more content available to you and me than ever. There's more research. There's more uh, people that are wise and knowledgeable, more experts. Ever since the internet was invented, everyone is an expert. And, but there's this weird thing that, that even though everybody knows a lot, we're no more unified than we ever were before. Isn't that interesting? It's almost as if the more we know, the more we argue. Everyone's an expert. And if you don't think like me, because I'm an expert, I can't be around you. Breaks my heart to know of friendships and even families that have gone through such times of disunity over the past few months. And it's just heartbreaking that simply because we see a certain subject a different way, we can't even stand to be in the same room together. As a pastor, honestly, <clears throat> I'm no stranger to criticism. And now over the last uh, nine months or however long it's been, I would say that it's, it's a stickier time than ever, that, that there's been many times over the last few, last however long, <laughs> isn't it crazy you kind of forget how long it's been, um, after, over the past nine or ten months that, that I feel honestly as I think through and as I pray and as I talk to wise people and as I've talked to, to pastors all around the country and people doing the same thing and trying to make good choices and really, you know, the Bible says, you know, there's wisdom with many counselors. And so trying to do that and trying to figure out what's the right thing, what's the right call for the different issues at the different times, guess what? It is impossible to please everyone. And even when you feel like you're making the absolute best decision that you could possibly make with the, with, the, with the information that you have at the time, someone's not happy. Someone, you know, gets rubbed the wrong way. Someone is so angry. And so even, even when you have a heart for unity and you want to love people the best you can and you want to just communicate God's love and you want to do it to everybody and you want to be somebody that brings together. I'm a, believe it or not, some of you that know me, you might think I'm a little like strict sometimes. Actually, my nature is I'm a peacemaker. I want to bring people together. I want for everybody to get along. I can't stand conflict. You know, anybody like that out there that just conflict adverse? I, I've gotten good at conflict because I've had to do it a lot over the years, but it still turns my stomach in knots. Can you relate? And so, man, we've been going through this time as a country and as families and as churches where it's just tough. And so it's extra polarizing now. There's all the normal stuff because, believe it or not, before COVID, you know, there was disagreements. Churches over the centuries have split and there's been arguments and there's been division. We're going to talk about some of that in Scripture today. But biblically... Biblical unity is not based on an opinion. Biblical unity isn't based on, um, on people and how they feel. Biblical unity, and when Paul taught the churches how to be unified, it was based on one person, not a thing, a person. It was based on, and it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, that, that one thing that it was based on, that one person is not me, it's not you, it's not an idea, it's not a political party, it's not an opinion, it's not a, a you know, stance that I've taken. 
It's a person, and his name is Jesus. Listen, and let's get really clear on how God works and how the devil works, okay? The devil twists. The devil twists not just reality, but the devil twists, uh, can, if we let him, twists our view of people. You see, our sinful nature tends to assume the worst about others. Our sinful nature tends to not give people the benefit of the doubt. Listen, if Jesus would have, act, would have acted that way when he went to the cross for us, he would have never gone to the cross for us. Because the Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so our, our, the piece of our, that, that, that our unity centers around, that it comes together at that point where we're connected has nothing to do with what I think of you or what you think of me. It really has to do with Jesus. It has to do with Jesus, but the devil twists reality. It makes us assume the worst about each other. It creates these divisions between us that are not necessary. Jesus, though, he comes and he unites. He brings people together, and the Bible says it like this, that love covers over a multitude of sins. Aren't you glad that Jesus covered over your sins with his blood on the cross? If you're new and you're checking out church and, and you're kicking the tires and, and you're just coming to see what this Jesus thing is all about and maybe you're searching and you're lost and you feel like, man, life has just gone off the rails, here's why we're here today because Jesus, God's one and only son, came to earth, lived as a man, lived a sinless life, gave his life for you and me on a cross he took our sin upon himself. He paid the ultimate penalty for us. He rose again on the third day, all so that you and I could have a relationship with him. That's what brings us together, church. You see, if our relationship, if, you know, as church people or as people in general, if it was just based on you or me, it would be doomed to fail, which is why the, the divorce rate is higher than ever. People can't get along. Because when it's just about your happiness and just about my happiness and just about what I bring to the table and just about what you bring to the table, guess what? I'll never be good enough and you'll never be good enough. Unity is only possible because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And man, this is something we have to keep coming back to over and over and over. If you've lived life long enough, then you know uh, that the honeymoon period of a marriage is not just that week after you get married when you go off somewhere and you have a good time. How many of you know that? You got that honeymoon marriage of, of marriage that maybe lasts a few months. Maybe for some of you it only lasted a week. And as soon as you walk through the door, when you go back to the house, you're like, whoa, this is not what I expected. And you are faced with the, with the reality that, man, I can't do this marriage on my own. It's not what I thought it was going to be. I thought that he was going to complete me. I thought she was going to complete me. I thought that we were just going to be this perfect little unity of, of a relationship together, and we're going to find everything that we needed in that relationship. And all you married people say, oh, my, right? That didn't work. And you came face to face with this reality that, that neither of us were enough. 
Do you ever feel that way in church? That like, man, why can't I just get along? We all have Christ in the center and we all have Jesus as our Savior. Why is it so hard to get along? The same reason why you don't always get along with your spouse. Because neither of us are perfect. Maybe you had a honeymoon of a job and you get to a new job and you're like, this is going to be the best job in the world. I have an amazing interview. I had amazing training. And for the first few months, everything is great. Until your boss says no. And you don't get your way about something. And you're like, oh, man, I thought this was going to be an empowering workplace. And all of a sudden, the boss played the boss card like bosses do. And you're hurt and you're offended. And all of a sudden, the reality of life and relationships smacks you in the face. Have you been there? I know I have. But here's the deal. We all live real life at some point. We all face these tough circumstances. And we realize that even though, you know, there's a lot of good tips out there on relationships, and many are really good, like be a good listener, compromise, be nice. That's my favorite. Just be nice, right? Have healthy boundaries in your life. All this stuff is good. But you know what? Over the next few weeks in this God Help Us to Unite series, you know, those are really good. And I, I might teach on those things someday, but that's not going to be the focus of this series. Why? Because I believe there's a higher call and a higher purpose to relationships that cannot be experienced outside of a relationship with Jesus. And so we're going to start there. Jesus is the one that unifies us, and it all comes back to him. Check this out in Philippians 2.1. It says this, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Now, just so you know, right off the bat, when you get into this passage, Paul might be being just a little bit sarcastic here. Maybe. I don't know. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? I can just imagine and picture this. If you walk into the room and your kids are fighting and they're throwing stuff and maybe a punch was thrown and they're tearing each other's hair out and maybe it's only my kids that do that, but you know, they're not getting along. And you walk into the room and you're like, kids, where is the love? Do you even love each other? Right? Did you forget you're related? Right? And as a parent, you can, you can identify and so I can just imagine Paul, he's coming to the Philippians and he's like, hey, what about Jesus? Any fellowship together in the spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. What a tall order. And then in 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul once again, and if you go throughout the epistles, you'll find so many places where Paul is challenging them to be unified. And the whole first chapter of 1 Corinthians is, is about this, really. And he says in verse 10, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no, underline no, divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind united in thought and purpose. <clears throat> Paul goes on in this passage to, to, to underline the fact that, hey, when I came to you, I didn't come to you with all this flashy words and, and all this human intellect. I came to you 
teaching based on the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the center. He's why we're here. And he's just underlining that over and over and over. I'm here to preach the cross and Jesus crucified and resurrected. And that's why we're here together. Man, when we read these verses, it is so convicting. Because I don't care who you are. From the top to the bottom, if there is a top or a bottom or a volunteer or a pastor or whatever, every single one of us during this last year has thought thoughts of disunity. Remember, this is for me. And when you're hearing this message, you're saying, this is for me. 1 Corinthians 1.30 at the end of this passage, and I want you to go home and read it today, your assignment for the week, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, God has united you with Christ Jesus. He's where we're united. So God, help us unite. God, help us unite. So we're going to talk today about Christ-centered relationships and what, is it, what does it mean, what does it look like to have a Christ-centered relationship? And this can cross over into your family life, it can cross over into your work life, it can cross over right here into our church life. This is for all areas of life. And so this could be a parenting message, this could be a friendship message, this could be a how to be a great co-worker message, putting Christ in the center. Number one. As you follow along, fill in the blanks in your notes today, we have to remember that something is in the center. Whether we put it there or not, whether we put it there on purpose or not, something is in the center. You know, it's, this is a universal rule, kind of like the earth revolves around the sun. You can't change that, can you? Right? We can't change that. It just is. The earth is revolving around the sun. It's a, it's a universal rule. And it's a universal rule in your life that your life is revolving around something. Sometimes we let relational elephants in the room take the center spot, right? You know, right now, a real modern day thing would be like mask or no mask. And we let that become the center of whether we're unified or not. These things come into our life and it's like the elephant in the room and it's like, hey, Something's in the center. What am I allowing to take that center spot? Sometimes it's status or prestige or reputation that we're really making decisions not based on a relationship with Jesus, but what other people think of us. Sometimes it's pleasure or comfort or fun. You know, I'm making all my decisions in life about what's best or most pleasurable to me. Sometimes it's drama or tension and your whole life is like one big soap opera. I, I've got some friends like this that they're just attracted to the drama and they love for everything to be drama. And if something's not dramatic, they make it dramatic. They step into the situation and boom, we got some drama because why? They love it. They're eating it up, right? Have you ever known somebody like that? Some people, what is in the center is a work or production or action and they just got to do stuff. They're workaholics. They've got to be moving. They never sit down. They get up at five in the morning and they go till they hit the, the pillow and they can't ever just sit and relax and be still, right? For some of you, for some of us, 
trauma or past hurts is in the center. That no matter how much you work on it and try to, you know, kind of put that in the rearview mirror, those trauma or those past experiences really are the center focal point of your life. And so we put all kinds of things in the center. Sometimes we just put the old-fashioned just me in the center. When we really just get down to it, we might blame it on, I'm a workaholic, or I struggle with this, or I struggle with that. But man, if we just get really gut honest, we're just flat out being selfish, right? Listen, side note, Jesus can lead your personality or bend, you know, how kind of just your natural bend. And why do we know this? Because he created it. He gave you your personality. He gave you, you know, you. He created it. But he will not be led by your personality or your bend. Jesus can lead your personality or your bend or your wiring in life, but he will not be led by it. And so all this stuff that we tend to put in the center that maybe we blame on, well, this is just the way I am, this is how I I was made or whatever, that still has to come under submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ, right? He has to stay in the center. You see, I believe that Jesus wants us to have life to the full. And that isn't just good things always. You know, we're going to experience the full range of life situations and feelings and emotions, and they're going to be good days, they're going to be bad bad days. Jesus himself said that, you know, in this life, you're going to experience many trials and tribulations, and, and, you know, there's going to be good stuff, there's going to be bad, there's a time for all of that. But in all of that, Jesus is in the center because something has to always be in the center. It's a universal rule. Acts 3. 432, we see that it's possible, though, for people to be unified around one thing. In Acts 432, it says, all the believers were united in heart and mind. I love that. That even though we have all these personalities and all these bends, it is possible for every single one of us to put Jesus in the middle, to put him in the center to make that choice, I'm not going to be led by selfishness. I'm not going to be led by my bend. I'm not going to be led by my personality or my trauma or my past experiences or the ways that I usually mess up. I'm going to let Jesus lead me because I'm going to put him in the center. Number two, the second thing we know about Christ-centered relationships is that the centerpiece is what you keep coming back to. It's the thing that holds us together. I want to liken this today to the family table. Anybody got, still have a family table at your house? You know, and maybe you only use it sometimes, but it's the table that everybody can fit at. Anybody? You know, that used to be a thing. Back in my house growing up, um, we had our normal little attached table to the, to the uh, k- kitchen where we would cram around that table because we could all fit, and it was pretty tight. But then we had the nice table, Right? in the next room, and then that room had the special wallpaper, and it was decorated, and it had the big china cabinet next to it. You remember that? Some of you are flashing back to grandma's house at Thanksgiving, or, or you're, you're, you're thinking of that time where everybody gathers around the table. Something special about the family table. Listen, Ephesians 4, 2 through 6 says this, always... That's another absolute word, so underline that one. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves 
united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Is there two words that, I did, that are just hopping out there is one and all, which means all of us can, if we choose, be unified around that one thing, Jesus. Love that. So the centerpiece is what we keep coming back to, and we have these guidelines and scriptures about how to do it, Right? And we keep remembering Jesus is our centerpiece. Jesus is our centerpiece. Jesus is the family table. You see, I know that you can get along with people because everybody has those family members at the table that that you just have to choose to get along with, right? And for some reason, we give our family members allowances and we're, we're making allowances for their faults, but then we forget how to do it with everybody else in the world. You ever been there? And so we can do it. We just have to remember we come back to the family table. Jesus brings us to the place. We, re- we remember, you are not your opinions. You are somebody Jesus died for. And so I'm going to love you like that. Listen, this, this sense of belonging, this sense of family, this sense of, man, we're together. It doesn't matter how old you are, or how young you are, or what kind of past experiences you are, you've had. It doesn't matter if you just met Jesus Christ last week or, or you've been serving him your whole life. You know, there's this need for family connection in the church. And this is one of the biggest reasons we have to pray, God, help us unite. I I was looking at some Barna studies uh, this week. Barna does a lot of faith-based research. And listen, they they were talking about what makes somebody a resilient disciple, right? Which means somebody that that maybe grows up in in the faith and they get to a place and no matter what the world throws at them, a good picture is like somebody who grows up in a house uh, with believers and they're taught to follow Jesus and they don't and then they accept that faith for themselves and they they're, they're, they know how to feed themselves with God's word and they have a, a great relationship with Jesus and they're praying and they're going to church and they're serving and, and, and it's not just something they do it's something they are like they really are a follower of Christ a resilient disciple and they're like what makes them like that and so one of the things that they found was this sense of belonging in the church is a big deal when it comes to being united and, and, and following Jesus. So I read that, this, this, that data shows that resilient disciples, their sense of belonging correlates with intergenerational friendships and a positive emotional climate. Listen to this. It says about three in five resilient disciples, they communicated that they feel valued by people in their life who are older than them. And they also said that they welcome positive criticism for those, from those who are older than me. Man, can you imagine if we were so united that it didn't matter, you know, the generations, that we were able to learn from each other and be so humble that we that were able to speak into each other's life. And check this out. What builds resilient disciples? Meaningful relationships do. And then you've got... Over here on the left, you've got your prodigals or your ex-Christians, people who have left the faith. You've got the nomads. Those are kind of people that they maybe go to church every once in a while, Christmas and Easter, but 
They, they really aren't a part of the church. You got her, your habitual churchgoers. Those are people that maybe go to church at least once a month, maybe twice a month, but they don't really engage past attending. And then you got your resilient disciples. These are people who, who put feet to their faith. They, they have a prayer life. They're reading their Bible. They're growing in their faith. And look at the percentages. This is a, this, the church is a place where I feel like I belong. 88% of those that, that have a real relationship with Jesus feel the church, they belong at church. 5% on the other side. Church, this isn't just a hot topic. This is a non-negotiable. This has to be a place where people belong, where, where we're united where we put our best foot forward when it comes to relationships. Why? Because if people don't feel connected to the body of Christ, if we don't have real relationships that are united around Christ, then we're going to lose a whole generation. There's someone in my life who encourages me to grow spiritually. That's why we're starting life groups, which I'll talk about before we leave today. But we're encouraging each other to grow spiritually. 85% of people who really follow Jesus have that. And it goes down from there. I'm connected to a community of Christians, 82%, all the way down to 7%. When growing up, I had close personal friends who are adults from my church, parish, or faith community. See the percentages. I admire the faith of my parents. Man, mom and dad, it matters so much. What kind of example you set for your kids in following Jesus. I feel emotionally close to someone at church. All these things are a big deal. And all these things point back to, are we united? Are we united around Christ? <clears throat> you see, when, when you've got the family table, when you've got Jesus in the center, when you have a Christ-centered relationship, there's something you can always come back to, right? Something you can always come back to. It's like a rendezvous point. It's like if you get lost, we're all going to come here, Right? And this is why the alignment principle that we talk about in class 101 here at Mosaic is so important. We got to be aligned around the right things. That's why at Mosaic 101, we talk about how we're a three-chair church. We want this to be a place where unbelievers and new believers and mature believers can all come and learn about Jesus and grow together. And we can help each other grow. That's why we talk about the great commandment and the great commission. Those are our, our unifying principles that bring us together. No silos, no divisions. We're together. Titus 3.10 gave a stern warning. It says, if people are causing divisions among you, give a first and a second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. Man, Paul was serious about being united at church and not being somebody who is divisive and causing problems. That's why we say here at Mosaic, life is too short not to enjoy church. Why? Not because... You know, it's like, go find somewhere else if you don't enjoy it. That's not the heart. The heart is, man, God built you to thrive in a community of believers. He built you to, to, to be a part, to be one with, 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 the, with the body of Christ, to make a difference, to keep Christ at the center, to lay down preferences and elevate the gospel. You know, this is why we say, man, if, if you can't enjoy church at Mosaic, you should probably find a church that you do enjoy. And I don't say that to be mean. I mean, I really want you to enjoy your church experience and your life. I want you to get a, a part of a family of believers that, man, you love them and they love you and you're just, you're of one heart and mind. 
And it's okay that there's multiple churches and that there could be more expressions of, of, of that. And, but it's so important to have this family table where, hey, this is what we're going to align about and be lockstep about. Quick story, my brother one time, I was little, I think I was three years old. He got lost at Disney, Disney World or Disneyland out in California. And can you imagine as a mom or dad? Oh. So they can't find him. They're frantically looking. And so finally they get some park people, you know, and they took him. They, the park people knew right where to take, take the parents and the brother. They had a spot. And they come in and they expect to find James, my brother, just distraught that he was lost. And here my brother was at Disney World with a big, huge soda in his hand. And he's watching cartoons and playing. And he didn't even care. And my mom and dad were like, you know, all frantic, as you and I would be if we lost our little one at Disney World. But because there was a place to come back to, because there was a safe place, my brother, even, you know, though he was lost, he was able to feel comfortable because somebody was taking care of him. That's a great picture of what our church needs to be, that when you're lost, you can come back to the table. You can come back to Christ. And our church is here with open arms because Christ is unifying us. If you're a parent, I know you've probably heard the verse, Proverbs 22, 6, direct your children onto the right path because when they're older, they will not leave it. What does that mean? You're creating a place to come back to. You're creating a place with open arms, just like that parable, parable of the prodigal son after he had gone and he'd wasted everything and he fell into sin. His dad was there with open arms, ready to take him back. This, when Christ is in the center, you create a place to come back to. Number three, we'll close with this today. When Jesus is in the center, everyone benefits. With Jesus in the center, everyone benefits. Let's hop back to that verse that we talked about in the beginning, Philippians 2, 1, where Paul might have been a little bit sarcastic, maybe. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? The answer is yes. Any comfort from his love? The answer is yes. Any fellowship together in the spirit? The answer is a resounding yes. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Now that one is on us. Those first three were like, you know, when you take a test, you know, like easy answer, easy answer, easy answer. And then you get to that one, you're like, oh no. I'm not sure I studied well enough for this question, right? Well, hey, you get to this question, it's like, oh, man. It's like you're all excited reading the verse, and you're like, yeah, Jesus is the answer. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Oh, I don't know, right? And then Paul says, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, love of one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Now, I'm not going to go into specific issues because a lot of times they're cyclical, especially worldly issues. They're always cyclical. And it's like, at the end of the day, you're probably going to think what you think, and I'm going to think what I think. And we kind of back to the start, you know. And so I'm going to give you a thought to kind of lead your heart and lead your life. So the goal is I want to be tender and compassionate, right? 
I'm gonna keep Jesus in the center because when Jesus is in the center of my life, then everyone's gonna benefit. Does that mean everybody's gonna like me? No, because Jesus said himself, hey, they're not all gonna like you, <laughs> right? They're not all gonna like you. Even the disciples argued and Jesus had to be like, come on guys, the last should be first and the first should be last. Remember that whole conversation? And so, listen, when I move towards Christ, with Jesus in the center and I move towards Christ, the relationship cannot help but change. You think about a triangle, and a lot of times when you're getting married, the pastor might take you through this talk where he's like, you know, there's a triangle, and at the top of the triangle, here's Christ, and then at the other two points of the triangle, here's you and your spouse. But you could replace this with anybody in your life. Here's you, and here's um, that other person that is also a child of God, that also was created in God's image, that Christ also died for them. And so no matter what the relationship is, there's Christ and there's you and there's your brother or sister in Christ. And so the cool thing about when you move closer to Christ, no matter what, you might feel like this is helpless. We can't get on the same page. We can't unite. You know, there's this issue that's dividing us. There's no way that we're gonna come together and be united. But the cool thing is when you move towards Christ, the shape of that triangle changes. It's a fact, Jack. When you move towards Christ, the shape of the triangle changes even if that person does nothing. Because so much of the time in relationships, we're like, we're never gonna get on the same page. And, and, and most of the time it's like, why? Because they won't change. You been there? My husband won't change. My wife won't change. It's at the top of your prayer list. God change them. Where sometimes it's like Jesus just wants you to get closer to him. And when you move towards him, the shape of that triangle changes and so does the relationship. No matter what, it's a universal rule. Always. So you move towards Christ. The closer and closer you get to him. Now just think about it. Let's just say I'm Christ, which I'm not. And if I ever say that for real, leave. But let's just say I'm in that God spot on the triangle, just for figurative sake. And over here, these people in this section are, are is the, the, per, the one person and these people are the other person. If you guys say, I'm gonna make a commitment to get close to Jesus, no matter what, and just love people the best I can. You start coming close to Jesus. Okay, these people were looking at me. They're also looking at Christ or they're looking at you. It doesn't even matter which one they're looking at. The closer that you get to me, at some point, both of us, both Jesus and you are gonna be in their view, right? And so the closer you get to Jesus, then when people see you, who are they also gonna see? Jesus. They're gonna see him. When you say, I'm gonna be one with Christ, I'm gonna lay my choices at his feet. I'm gonna be tender and compassionate. I'm just gonna love people. Does that, does that mean that you're always gonna be the same people or think ex or make the same choices or same opinions about every single little issue? No, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best to get close to Jesus so that when people see me, they see him. Guys, I can't answer every little piece of division that's happening in this world right now. I can't. But what do I have control over? How close I get to Jesus.
I have the relationship with Jesus that I want. And if I'm trying to get close to him, it's because I want other people to see him too. And so with Jesus in the center, everyone benefits. Everyone benefits. And so the question is never, how can I change (coughs) that person? The question is, Jesus, how can I get closer to you? Because if I get closer to you, that relationship's gonna change. Whether someone else does what you think is the right thing or not, doesn't change your responsibility to move towards Christ. It's a tough but true word. This is the glue that holds friendships together. This is the glue that holds marriage and families together. My vertical relationship with him and my horizontal relationships are linked. Is he in the center? Don't let your opinions outweigh your love. Don't let your opinions outweigh your love. See people just like Jesus saw them. Somebody that needs forgiveness. And sometimes you get to be the one to offer forgiveness. Sometimes you get to be the one to say, hey, you know what? I'm gonna make allowance for those faults. Why? Because Jesus made allowance for those faults in me. And by, when you do that, you're not condoning everything they do. You're not approving of everything that they do. Those are two separate issues, so don't get me wrong. You're just loving them just like Jesus loved you. Don't take a difference of opinion personally. Jesus never gave you the right to be a jerk, right? Be tender, be compassionate. Even if they do it different than you, even if they see it different than you, remember you're, you're united with Christ. Here's just a few tips. Love each other like Jesus loved you. Jesus says, freely you've received, freely give. I'll never go wrong when I just act like Jesus. How about this one? Ascribe high value to other people. Just like Jesus, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He died for people. So how can I serve someone even if I I don't agree with them? It's hard to think badly about somebody when I'm praying for them every day. It's, It's almost impossible, right? Remember, values are greater than opinions. They might have a different opinion, but my value is the cross. My value is Christ. My value is, you know, I want, I want to live a life of repentance and encourage other people to live a life of repentance and, 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 you know, under the mercy and grace of Christ. So my value is greater than my opinion. A difference of opinion does not change the value of an individual. So you're going to find your common values. You're, they're going to center around Christ. And here's just one more tip of the day. Jesus always brought his best self to the equation. What did that mean? He spent time with the Father. He would go up on the mountain, he'd pray. He would spend the time with the Father necessary to bring his best self to the people. And it's no different in your life. It's no different in my life. Because with Jesus in the center, everyone benefits. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me today. If you're here today and you're saying, man, Joe, the first relationship that I need to get right in my life is my relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're seeing just 
bright and clear today that the reason the relationships in your life are so messed up is because your relationship with Jesus is not right. And maybe the Holy Spirit is just speaking to your heart, heart right now, bringing you know, that loving conviction, and you realize, man, I'm not in the right place with Jesus. I've not been moving towards Jesus. I've not been laying my life at Jesus' feet. He's not my Lord. He's not my Savior. I've been, I've been running the other way. And if that's you today and you need to come to a place of just getting right with God, you realize, man, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. I need Jesus. If that's you today, I just encourage you to just a, a simple act. Lift your hand and say, Jesus, that's me. There's nothing special about lifting a hand. There's, it's just it's a, something physical I'm doing to say, Jesus, I acknowledge that's, that's me. That's me. I need you. Amen. You can put your hands down. And as, as, as you th- continue to reflect on what, what we've heard today and the fact that Jesus loves you so much, I encourage you to just say a prayer. Put God on the throne of your heart as the leader of your life. Say, Jesus, forgive me. I lay my life at your feet. I believe that you died on the cross. You rose again on the third day. I want to live every moment from this moment forward, forward for you. In Jesus' name. I need you, Jesus. And if you prayed that prayer, uh, I'm so happy for you. I'm so thankful for you. A few things that I encourage you to do, man, get either start or get back to reading your Bible every day. Make it a part of your life. Get back to praying every day. Make it a part of your life. We have uh, some tools on our website. Um, if you need a Bible, man, you can let the person at the info center know after service. We'd love to get you a Bible. Um, and we'd love to just put tools in your hands to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Uh, we're going to have a prayer team in front uh, in a few minutes after we dismiss. And so if you need prayer for anything today, I just want to encourage you to come get prayer. Maybe just like stuff's heavy or maybe you need healing or whatever it might be. I encourage you to just come and pray with some people. They're not scary. They're just normal people like you um, that, that would love to just say a prayer for you. A few things that I want to draw your attention to before we leave today. Uh, we are going to begin a semester of life groups, um, which basically are, are small groups of people that get together to either talk about the weekend message, like the message you just heard or the, the message that week, um, or they're, they're, they've got a curriculum, maybe a video or something that they're studying. Um, and the, the goals are, I'm going to get closer to Jesus, right? I'm going to get closer to people and I'm going to serve together. And so that's, it's that simple. I'm outside of Sunday morning service. I'm going to get together with a smaller group of people in church and I'm going to get to know Christ and them together, right? And so, man, this is so valuable. And a lot of what I was talking about earlier about how it's so important for us to be unified, to have real meaningful relationships. Um, I just wanna encourage you to take, take a step and sign up for a group. All of the groups and the information, when, how, who, all that, what is online at mosaiccincinnati.com. If uh, and you scroll down a little bit, there'll be a button to you know, look at the groups and more information about groups and all that. If you need help getting signed up, uh, talk, talk to me or, or a friend here at church, I'm sure we can help you. If you are internet, anti-internet, you don't use it. <laughs> Maybe you don't even have a smartphone. You don't have email, that's okay, no big deal. Just when you leave today or any of the next few weeks, go out to the info center. 
I think Judy will be back there today and she has a list of all the groups and when they meet and who's leading them and all that. And she can help you get signed up um, on a Connect card. And so um, that leads me to the second thing. It's, if it's your first time with us, pull out a Connect card from the seat back pocket in front of you. I would be so honored if you filled out the info and drop it in a bucket on your way out today. I'd love to connect with you this week. Um, if you would like to, to worship God with your giving today, the guys will be have the buckets as you leave or uh, there's always the online giving options. Um, and then also I just encourage you to check out the events tab on our website, whether it's Mosaic 101, 201, uh, we have an annual members meeting coming up, which everybody's invited to. It's it's a it's a members meeting, but it it's open to everybody. Would love to have you there. We're going to celebrate 2020. Look forward to 2021. It's on March 7th. Um, we have a family movie night coming up. All the information is on the website and under, under the events tab, and and so check that out. Uh, if you need help finding anything, just let us know. We'd love to help you get connected at Mosaic. All right, let's stand. Let me just pray a prayer of blessing over you and we'll be dismissed. God, I thank you so much for your people. God, I pray that you just bless them in their, in their going and their coming and their work and their families and their choices. God, help us to put you first and keep you in the center and just be united around you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You're dismissed. Have a great week and enjoy the Super Bowl.